If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Woo woo. I am so excited. This (laughs) podcast coming out just in time for Halloween. This is such a treat for all of you and you're welcome. We have such an (laughs) amazing guest with us today. I just finished her book. It's called love is the resistance. Learn to disagree, resolve the conflicts you've been avoiding and create real change. She is also the co-host of why though a podcast with one of our other favorite guest authors we've had on the podcast in the past, Tiffany Bloom. Um, our guest is Ashley Abercrombie and she is seriously such a badass. And I'm so excited to have you with us, (laughs) Ashley. Oh, yay. I'm so happy to be with you too. I've really been looking forward to this conversation and how fun on Halloween. Yes. That's right. That's right. Do you have a costume this year? Or are you just dressing the kids up or do you not do that? Yeah, we're just dressing up the kids. You know, I feel like yeah. I have three under seven. So by the time I'm done with them, I'm like, I don't know. I'm coming as myself. That's my best. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I am here. You're welcome. Yes. Correct. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, I just have to say, you know, in reading this book, I for some reason, I feel like we've been lifelong friends and I'm just like cheering for you as I turn every page. And it's just like the weirdest Mm. thing. Cause a lot of times when people read my books, they'll be like, Oh my gosh, we're so alike. And I'm like, sure we are. But then I'm like, (laughs) that's how I feel about you. I'm like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're so alike. And I just love you so much. And, but like, I really have never even met you. So I feel like I get, I get now how some readers feel. <laughs> so anyway, yes. thank you for sharing. I love to hear that. <laughs> I do too, but I'm always like, yeah, right. No one's like me. No one's as crazy as I am. <laughs> oh my gosh. But this book, I just think it's so, so timely. And I just, I feel like it's what is needed right now. There's so much, obviously, extremism and division. And then like with our work, we see so many scandals, especially like in the church related to abuse Mm. and just mistrust. And how do you go in hard with conversations when you feel like your voice isn't even going to be heard anyways? Um, yeah, it just really, I feel like it clears all the yuck out this book that you have shared with the world and, and it really helps. It'll help people really understand how to not only find their voice, but to use it well. Um, Mm. yeah. So, but I wanted to begin actually, because this is the one voice podcast and most of our listeners are survivors of abuse or those who care about us. Um, I want to begin by thanking you for sharing um, as a survivor in your book. Mm. Yeah. I just want to thank you for that courage that, and also for just calling out injustice. It's one thing to say, you know, you are a survivor that you, you know, have gone through 
sexual assault, but it's another to be able to say, and also I'm standing in the gap and I'm going to talk about this as an advocate and to call out injustice when I see it. Right. Yes. So I really totally. want to thank you for that. <laughs> Cause that really yeah, matters. It's my pleasure. It does matter. And I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, we don't, we don't do it enough and not everyone mm-hmm. feels safe enough or secure enough to be able to speak out. And I think that's an okay choice. You know, I think that yeah. there are so many different reasons why people would choose to use their voice, but I know I, I, I felt so strongly from the very beginning, when I first opened up about going through a sexual assault, Mm -hmm. I felt very strongly that I would want to share that with other people because I could just, I know the relief that I felt when somebody Mm -hmm. was brave enough to go first with me That's right. and to think about being able to open up someone's heart to the possibility of healing or freedom or, you know, no shame and no stigma was something that felt like a driving beating force in my life. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, over the last 20 years, you know, that, that has just grown, it's amplified, you know, the Mm -hmm. more, I think the more healing we have, the more, um, connection we have with others, the more understanding we have about the difficulties that people are facing, the easier it becomes to raise our voice. Cause we realize yeah. we're not alone and we're not mm-hmm. the only one. And it matters that th- this doesn't happen to people. And so if I can do my part to make sure that it doesn't, I think we could go a long way in ending, mm-hmm. you know, the, the violence against women and the injustices that are in our world. Yeah. Right. Gosh, that's so good. I wondered if we could, before we kind of unpack all of the goodies that are in this book, love is the resistance. I wondered if you'd be willing to go back and talk a little bit about, um, something that comes up so often for us in working with survivors, um, especially our unleashed course, which is a virtual support group that launched this year for survivors. It comes up all the time. In fact, we've devoted one of the eight weeks to it. And that is the week called masks. And, you know, Mm. like so many survivors of abuse, you wore masks and, you know, I've, I've learned this about your story and, you know, like me, that's what led to, I would say, and I haven't heard you say this, but I would guess led to some things like I did like perfectionism and people pleasing. Um, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that in your own life. What did that look like? The mask wearing, how did you recognize it in, in order to be able to heal enough to get to a place where you could write a book about something so bold? Totally. Well, I, I think that, you know, I was raised in the South, like in the Southeast of the state. So in North Carolina, for those who are listening here in America, Mm -hmm. that's where I was raised. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's beautiful about the, the wonderful small town that I grew up in, because I love small towns. Like, I feel like I'm a city girl, but I'm a small town girl at heart. And I loved being able to grow up where everybody knows who I am. But at the same time, there was this strange dichotomy of nobody really knows me at all. And I think, you know, as an assault survivor and as someone who's experienced pain and dysfunction and brokenness in, in our family and in culture at large, I think that that just hinders us from feeling like we can be our full self. And I say culture at large, because there's so many things, especially for women in our culture that are telling us to value the image over the person, the image over the integrity. Like we're taught all the time to be better, to be more, to do more, to be prettier, to be skinnier, to be, you know, like everything in culture is, is pressing perfectionism on 
upon you. And we mm-hmm. have this very warped, twisted idea of what it means to be a woman in the world. And we inherit that from magazines. We inherit it from family members. We inherit it from the school we went to. We inherit it even from our faith communities, if you have one. And so for me, you know, I want to recognize those cultural things as we have this conversation, because it's not one place that women learn to internalize this idea of being perfect makes me be loved. Being perfect helps me feel significant. Being perfect helps people love me in relationship. It helps me be accepted or approved of. So it's like this, Mm -hmm. this thing that kind of dominates our life if we're not aware of it. And then you know, growing up in that small town feeling like, okay, well, people know me, but I can't share my pain with them. I didn't know how to have reciprocal relationships. I didn't know how to, you know, let other people know, Hey, I'm in need to, I tended to be the strong one. The people that, that people came to for advice, the one that, you know, people would ask input on for different things like that. But I was never really courageous enough to say, I'm also broken. I need help. I need answers. I don't know everything. And and I think it also made me a terrible friend because who wants to be in relationship? with someone that never has a need. It's like the worst one-sided experience, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's what I cultivated for a a long time in my life because I honestly just didn't know how to do better. And then through the recovery process, because one of the things that that produced in me is not just the things that you named, but also addiction. So I struggled with the eating disorders. I struggled with abuse of alcohol and drug addiction. And I think because of that, when I finally started to get help in my early twenties, when I finally just allowed myself to admit that my life was completely unmanageable, that things were absolutely out of control and that I could, I no longer had the wherewithal to fix anything on my own. And when I finally just admitted that to myself and admitted that to God, and it took me a a longer chunk of time to actually admit that to another person, but just even sitting in that truth helped me realize like, wait a minute, where did this idea of perfection come from? Why do I hide my pain? Why do I mask the difficult emotions and trauma that's living on the inside of me? Why do I feel like I have to hide this part of my story? And part of it was that I really honestly believed that I was the only one you know, because I had never talked about it. So I thought like, I must've done something wrong. It must be something to do with me. Nobody else seems to be going through these problems or these challenges. And what really woke me up was being in a small group with women. And I ended up driving someone home and she was part of our group. We stayed in the small group a little late and she rode the bus here in Los Angeles. And it was super late, like 11 PM. So I said, Hey, how about you just jump in my car and I'll drive you home tonight. And I drove her down to this area in downtown LA. Um, and, and I was about to drop her off and I said, well, can I walk you to your door? Cause this doesn't seem, you know, very safe. And she just kind of looked at me with this sort of like desperate wild eyed, you know, ju- just no, she was like, no, 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 no. You know? And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. But there was something in me that was like, okay, let me let her just get out of the car. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, she called me and she's like, Ashley, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but I'm homeless. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, like, we've been sitting here in this small group. I haven't told anybody that I'm trying to heal from a sexual assault, that I'm recovering from an eating disorder, that I've been struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction, that Mm -hmm. I'm trying to beat perfectionism out of my life. She's homeless. And then I thought, wait a minute, we have to change everything about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And the next time we showed up in the group, I said, we're going to change the name of this group to breaking the silence. And I'm going to go first. And we're going to talk about the things that are hard for us. And you don't have to, there's zero pressure, but I'm going to go first. And anybody who needs to share or offload something, I want to create a safe space for us to do that. And sure enough, one by one, each one, each woman started to unpack something that was painful for her, something that was very real for her, something from her past that she'd never told anyone before. And I knew we were onto something. And I think it's that, that great exhale of like me too. And so that kind of started me on this journey of coming out of perfectionism and really, really realizing 
that I wanted to normalize having a broken life Mm -hmm. because that's what it means to be human. There's nothing wrong with us. Every human has issues, problems, and pain. Mm -hmm. Every human has conflict and tension that they don't want to deal with. Every human is going through hard things and life is brutal, but it's also stunningly wonderful. You know, everything Mm -hmm. about it, you know, we can find joy in the hardest places. You can find light in the pitch black darkness. Like that is the truth of humanity. And I wanted to normalize that for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how, don't you think some of our coping and some of our survival skills can just be the safe place that we live out of and the, the fear of trying something new, like actually connecting or belonging somewhere or or telling our whole truth or being vulnerable that doesn't feel safe. Like our coping that we develop to get through it, that's safe. Yes. But once you do finally take that big step, you realize, oh, this, this could be safe too, maybe even safer. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. I had a mentor say once, you know, you, you have to survive, like you do whatever it takes to survive. Right. Yep. And at the same time, there, there is a place that we as survivors can get to where we say, you know what, I have survived and now I want to live. Mm -hmm. Like I actually want to live. I want to show up in my life. I want to be my whole self. I want to, you know, shine light on the dark parts and not be ashamed of them. You know, it's like, I think that we all get to make this courageous, big decision on the process of healing as we're ready to live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. I love that. Well, speaking of being able to truly live, I just think, you know, relationships are, are so important to our healing process, our healing journey. You know, we really kind of, we're able to test some things out in a relationship. We're able to hear the truth from people, you know, speak to the lies that maybe we believed and we find validation, we find comfort, but then just kind of segueing into your book. It's also a place where there's a lot of hurt, you know, Mm. people say insensitive stuff, they, (laughs) you know, they're very misinformed, or they, you know, really want to hold tight to these beliefs that they heard from their cousin, Karen on Facebook, like, (laughs) you know, how in the hell do we step into that? Like, it's hard enough to have relationships, especially if you've been hurt in them. And the majority of us who have been trauma survivors, we've been hurt in trusted community, safe, what we thought was safe relationships. So Mm. then having to enter into the tension, into conflict to, you know, resolving, um, yeah, like, like certain beliefs that we know they have that we don't. And like, especially in today's time, everyone wants to talk about it. We used to not really talk about those things, (laughs) but it's like, now that's all anyone has to do. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it. So then (laughs) do we just shut down these, (laughs) these relationships altogether? Probably not, but sometimes maybe. So that's kind of what I wanted to dive in with you today Mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's like, the topics in this book are the topic of the hour for so many of us. We've got mm. to acknowledge the the conflicts that are there. You know, there's so much political and social conflict, yes. but how do we approach that in the best way, especially if relationship conflict or relationship betrayal mm. can be really triggering? Completely. Gosh, I mean, you, you've said so much there and you are spot on. And that's part of why I wrote this book is because I was so troubled Mm. by 
by the way we are up, approaching the world and by the disagreements that hang in between us. And mm-hmm. so disturbed by our lack of capacity to allow other people to be who they are and where they are, uh-huh. we take everything so personally. And these conflicts really are wrecking our relationships. So I think to answer your questions, I would say we have to start small. Mm-hmm. I want to start here first, because I think that, you know, um, if you don't have a few trusted friends, mm-hmm. a few trusted people, it's going to become even harder to navigate conflict. And usually what happens is we either choose to completely avoid it and sort of, we could go on the toxic positivity end of the spectrum, or we can just be like, la di da elephant in the room. Don't see yeah. it. Don't care. Not yeah. addressing that. Or we can flip to the other side, which is where we push all of our aggression and anger and conflict outward. And we, you know, love the pundits and politicians and we're, you know, attacking people on social media and we're yelling at folks at the dinner table. And we are, you know, talking, slandering and gossiping about people in our faith community or at work because their beliefs don't line up with ours. So I feel like there's those two ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Part of that comes from not having close relationships with folks who where they're honest and it's reciprocal and you are Mm -hmm. seen and you are known and your brokenness is accepted. And you also are accepting the brokenness of others in relationship. And you're able to suspend your judgment when you need to, and you're able to talk about hard things and to open up your life and to receive wisdom and to offer wisdom. And you can hear in all that I've just said, this sort of generosity that can exist in safe relationships. And so I think you have to start really small. And when you're loved in those circles, it becomes easier to better understand the conflicts at large, you know, the big social issues that we're facing in our society, whether that's racism or sexism, or, you know, I don't know, you name it. There's, there's a million isms, you know, cynicism, mm-hmm. there's, there's a million of them. You can name the thing that you feel passionate about, or the thing yeah. that you feel called to pursue or speak up about, or just, you know, kind of keeps you burning at nighttime. We all have them. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, starting small helps you really know that you're loved. So when you get hurt in the world at large, or you get hurt at work by an acquaintance, or you get hurt again by someone that you thought was going to, you know, do right by you and they didn't, or you get hurt on your job. If you have a small circle of people who really love and care about you and a small circle that you love and care about, it becomes easier to navigate those bigger conflicts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we have to start small. And I think that comes from not resenting the ordinary spaces that we live in every day. It comes from learning to be content with ordinary life. And it comes from being able to say, you know what, I, I don't need to be big and glorious to feel important, but Mm -hmm. I am going to care about these friends that are right here in front of me. And I'm going to care about these children. If you have them, or I'm going to care about these coworkers that, that I see every single day of my life for eight hours a day. I'm going to begin to care about the ordinary spaces that I'm in. And that's where I think the sweetest relationships can actually develop. And I used to always push my life outward too, because it just felt so much easier to pretend and perform Mm -hmm. or to kind of attach myself to something that really on a day-to-day basis, wasn't really something I was deeply connected to or deeply working on because that was much easier. It doesn't require intimacy or vulnerability or reciprocal connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that we really have to ask ourselves, man, do I have kind of that safe circle from which love starts and then love can get bigger from there. Yeah, no, that's really good. I just thinking about the loving your neighbor the loving your neighbor piece, um, that you really talked about just, you know, not placing politics over humanity. Yes. Yeah. And just being in spaces with people you might even disagree with. I mean, I feel like that's always been the answer to everything for me. It's like what I'm walking with, 
the homeless, when I'm, you know, hanging out and going out to eat with black and brown people, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm, you know, in regular community with the LGBT community, like it's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like all the things that again, cousin Karen on Facebook said doesn't right. matter anymore because like, <laughs> right. these are my people, <laughs> you know? Yes. So I really love what you, what you said about that. And, and even <laughs> one of my favorite parts there was so many, but like one part in your book, you were saying how, you know, you have to sometimes restrain mm. from talking. And you said, Jesus doesn't need to take the wheel. He needs to pull over and whip some of y'all with his flip flop. <laughs> <laughs> because I do feel like a big problem with the church community at large and where a lot of hurts coming from is, yeah, people that aren't willing to again, find that love for neighbor, start small, look at where you're at, you know, go into the places you're not typically go into places with people that don't look like you. Yes. Um, and without a a picket sign, right? Like (laughs) if you, if you approach, if you are a believer and you approach every situation with the desire to fix or correct or advise or police, Mm -hmm. I think that you're already not on the side of love. It's, we don't see that in the life of Jesus. And in fact, the only people we see him be harsh with, and I wrote a lot about this too, are religious people, are people who were, you know, doing things in the name of God without the love of God. Mm -hmm. And I think that that we need to get it straight. You know, Jesus was not walking through these towns and these villages, rebuking all these people. (laughs) He said, no, let the children come to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, so who touched my garment? Who, who is it? Daughter, mm-hmm. your faith has made you well. You know, I mean, he would just, he would stop. He said, you know, look, I'm going to go see this Samaritan woman. It's not even on my route. And it's weird for me in this culture and in this society to be sitting with a woman, but you know what? She's on my route and I know yeah. that she needs to be loved and she needs to understand freedom and she needs to know that I see her. And so I feel like this is actually who Christ is. He's present and he's in and among. And so I think that we have really gotten love wrong. And we've been taught that to love is to be right. And then to legislate that on everybody else in society, as if the Holy spirit is not big enough to do his own job. You know, like we Mm. don't need to be deputized by the Holy spirit to enact the legislation Mm. of what we believe the kingdom of God is right. Mm. Like that's not why we're here. And the kingdom of God looks like love and it looks like an invitation and it looks like welcome. And it is full of truth. My life has been completely transformed by love, but it started with love. It didn't start with truth. It didn't start with the Bible being beat over my head. It didn't start with somebody saying, Hey, you know what? You need to stop sleeping with your boyfriend. You need to stop doing drugs. You need to do this, that, and the other thing. No, it started around the table. People invited me to come to dinner. They invited me to come to coffee. And within six months, I asked them, can I come to church with you? Mm. because they were good to me and they were kind to me and they were in relationship with me and they cared about me. They weren't trying to just proselytize to me and add me as a little tick on their evangelism list. You know, they actually saw like a really broken person, but also really loved me. And I think that we need to really understand that the heart of God is to draw people in. And I think that love is the resistance. This book, I pray that it brings a more faithful witness to the church because there have been so many moments where I've just like been embarrassed about the public witness at large. And part of that is because it's so grossly 
is missing the mark. And it's, there's such a gap between what I see from the Christians in my life. Like here I am talking to you, Nicole, and talking to you, Mary, amazing women who love God. And that public witness does not represent who you are. And it does not represent the, the people that are in my life who will show up in the middle of the night, who will love you, who will give you the shirt off their back, who'll bring a casserole when somebody passes away. Like, you know, this is the true witness of the Lord, these people full of love and welcome. And I, I hope that we can have a more faithful public witness because the world desperately needs to see that it still works. Yeah. <laughs> hey, real quick. I just wanted to let you guys know our current fall session for the Unleashed Survivor e-course and support group has already kicked off. We're very excited for all the survivors who are joining us and it's just going to be such a beautiful journey. Sorry for those of you who didn't get in in time. Just kidding. I really want to offer another one this upcoming January. So please keep your eyes out for that. It will be found at IamOneVoice.org. You can find out the times. We often have scholarships for those interested and in need of financial help. So reach out to us for that if you're in need of that. Um, But plan ahead for that. I think it'll be a really good experience for many of you who've been thinking about it or have been looking for something to get involved with as far as like finding a small community. It's just such a safe place to be able to show up as you are to talk about, you know, the effects of abuse and the struggles that we're going through and to hear from others and know you're not alone. There's so much value in these groups. I can't say it enough. So please keep your eye out for the next course. The winter course will likely begin right after the new year. Also, we've got new merch. Check it out at the One Voice store. Go to IamOneVoice.org. Click store. And we have some really sweet new artwork on some t-shirts, some just really empowering messages and wanted to let you know about it. I, I, I go back and forth so much in my own personal life with like, you know, I'm an Enneagram nine. So I'm like, you know, I'm a peacemaker. I, I, I'm mostly calm. Like I want to see both sides of everything, but then like in a flash, <laughs> if someone wants to start talking about things you went hard on in your book, Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter, immigration, mm-hmm. white Christian nationalism, Christopher mm-hmm. Columbus, God damn it, narcissistic, racist, misogynistic <laughs> leaders. Like I'm real quick to go from zero to like, try Jesus. Don't try me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I do. I mean, and you went in hard on it. I was howling reading this book because you went <laughs> at it. Mm -hmm. And, but see, that's where I struggle with the conflict because like, I can just lay low for a while, but then suddenly, oh dear, the fire has started. You know what I'm saying? And then (laughs) I I don't know where to reel it in because it, and it takes over my day. And then I'm nervous because I don't want to break relationship, but I really, really believe in this. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's like the social justice, like fighter comes out and then, but but the conflict isn't what I'm going for, but I do believe I'm right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I love this and I, I, I relate on so many levels. I mean, if anybody does the Enneagram, I'm an eight with a very strong nine wing. So Mm, basically that wing is an eight. Very strong. Okay. So there it is. Cause I'm healed. 
Right. <laughs> Same. So like, I feel like I'm, I'm already in conflict with myself all the time. Cause I'm like, you want to fight, raise it up, you know? And then I'm also like, wait a minute, make peace. Like, let's see this from every angle. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm in conflict with myself all the yeah. time, uh-huh. but what I've really, what wrecked me mm. the last, you know, since 2016, to be honest, is the story of Jonah. And I took my time in, in the book to, to talk about this. And I love to bring it up anytime I'm preaching in the last couple of years, because I think this idea of Jonah, it has the, the capacity to help people like us. It does. And yeah. It's because Jonah is, you know, disobedient to God. And as I was raised, you're, you know, you know, I was taught in my little Sunday school growing up that this story is actually, you know, we have this story so that we'll obey our parents. Like, look at Jonah being disobedient. He ended up in the belly of a whale. Now you don't want to be like Jonah, you know? Mm-hmm. And then as I've gotten older and really studied it, man, is this a tale of mercy? This is a tale of God's mercy. And Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was like, listen, the Ninevites are bad people. They are greedy. They are capitalistic. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, all these sides about capitalism. We can open that can of worms later. Send me a message. We can talk about it. I think, (laughs) you know, right. They're greedy. (laughs) They're, they're consumed with stuff and with power and military. And they're, they're just like these people who have no problem exploiting folks for labor or oppressing Mm -hmm. people or hurting them. And these happen to also be Jonas people. So when God says, I want you to go and talk to them and ask them to repent, which is like giving somebody an invitation to salvation. Jonah's like, the hell I will. No, I'm not going. If you want those people saved, you go get them saved. Like if you want them to repent, you're the one who's going to have to do it. And he knew about God's mercy. And so we know the story. He goes to Tarshish, he gets swallowed up in the belly of a whale, spits him back out on the shore. And then Jonah has to go and do the thing that he finally resigns himself to do the thing that God asked him to do. And it's beautiful because it's a very bad sermon. You know, like he, he preaches just a couple of sentences and it all means repent. And the most insane thing that happens in this story is that they all do, they actually do repent. So these powerful, greedy people who are hurting and oppressing others decide to repent and go God's way. Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful about this story is that Jonah stays mad. (laughs) He does does not, the story doesn't end with Jonah being like, I'm so glad they repented. Look at God's mercy. No, he says to God, I knew you would do this. I knew you to be a merciful God who would save them. I knew you would do this. And he's Mm -hmm. mad. And what I love about God is that he understood Jonah's need for vengeance and for revenge. He understood that Jonah was hurt and wounded and that these people had hurt his people. And Jonah did not want to do the thing that God asked him to do, but he did it even in his anger, even in his frustration, even in his desire to not see these folks. When he gets to heaven, he still said, okay, and did it. And God keeps his presence with Jonah. He doesn't say, Jonah, when you're done being angry or when you get on board with my mission and you just start loving these Ninevites, you know, just to, to love, love, love them, then I'll come back and bring my presence. No, he just sits with his son and stays with him. And then he also heals these, these Ninevites and saves them. And so I think that we can see through this story, God's mercy and God's mercy has the power to help us love people who are utterly unlovable. And God's mercy has the power to help us love people who abuse their power. And, and I'm not talking about love them, like be in relationship with them, but love them to the point of God. Can you heal them? Can you save them? Because if they stop, this is going to have a massive effect 
on the world around us. And so God, would you save them? Not because I want to see them in heaven, but because of your mercy, God, because you don't want this to happen to anyone else, because you want them to be freed from their greed and freed from their desire for their lust and thirst for more power and more stuff and more things and more people. God, would you free them from it? And so I think mercy just has this way of changing us. And mercy also allows us to go, you know, God is okay with my anger. He understands it. And he doesn't want people to be hurt or wounded or, you know, um, abused. Like that's not God's desire for us. Mm -hmm. And so the story of Jonah has really helped me as I've studied it since 2016 to just begin to love my other. Cause I feel like I used to preach a really good word about that. And what I meant is I want you to love, you know, that your immigrant neighbor, and I want you to love this person and that person. And they were all people that it came more naturally to me to love them. It was easy for me to love them, but I didn't want to love rich and powerful people. And I didn't want to love people who were perpetuating systems of, abu- of abuse. Right. And boy, did God wreck me with the story of Jonah, because I realized, Lord, your mercy is not fully in me. And will you help me, God, to see what you see? And will you help me, God, to begin to pray for people on the other side who are the offender, (laughs) who are the one who are perpetuating harm, God? And I don't get this right all the time. Sometimes I still rage and I'm so angry and, you know, it's all the things, but, (laughs) but it has been helping me implement mercy in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. And, and you didn't stop there. I mean, you, you went on to make sure everyone understands like mercy also holds accountable Yes, it does. Yep. Thank you. I really like, yeah, (laughs) I really liked how you said that because I think you and I are very similar in that we've both done some of that mess of forgiveness, but we also really get all the hangups and the reasons people don't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a whole chapter called woe to the offender Mm -hmm. because we talk so often about forgiveness, especially in Christian circles. And I think that we very often leave out, we'll say, Oh, forgive seven times 70, but we never talk about the fact that Jesus says, woe to the offender, that there will come a time when people who have done offensive, hurtful, harmful, abusive things will be held accountable. We will Mm -hmm. all see his face. (laughs) Like we will be held accountable for what we have done. And that gives me great hope as a survivor, because I think to myself, I'm probably never going to see justice on this side for the rape that I endured. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to see that person held accountable. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that God will do it. And I know that God has a better way that I don't understand, but I know God will do it. He's good that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that we can trust him with that. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. I'm wondering what you would say to, you know, outside of like our abusers, right? Mm-hmm. This is like, I'm thinking about like family members who say really stupid stuff, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, you know, people just in our circle that want to just talk about whatever they think that we're just like, these are the opposite values of me. Yeah. Like, staying in relationship. Do we have to be friends with everyone? Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I just think that's such an important part. And for me, it can be really triggering to still be vulnerable in Mm -hmm. a relationship that used to feel safe, but now Mm -hmm. doesn't. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. These are huge questions. And I think that, yeah, sorry. Oh no, I, I literally, I'm loving everything about our time together because you guys are hitting it hard and I'm here for it. Um, 
I'm not wasting any moment. Oh, I literally love it. This is the type of interview I'd want to listen to like repeatedly. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad. (laughs) Um, Bring it. Yeah. So I think, you know, I I started earlier about the small circle of safe people, right? And that is the place where you can practice being wrong or you can practice being loved where you can practice safety and practice vulnerability and intimacy and connection, right? So that's your safe circle. And I think that, yes, sometimes those relationships do change, but I'm talking about the ones that really do go the distance. And it doesn't mean you don't ever hurt each other, but it does mean like, Hey, we're going to go the distance together and I love you. And I trust you. And then we kind of have, you know, the circle gets bigger as we go out. Right. And so that's, you know, like the auntie Karen that you mentioned on Facebook or at the Mm. Thanksgiving table, or it's, you know, a coworker who we're like kind of close to, but we don't really hang out a whole lot, or it's a faith, you know, a fellow faith goer, a a person that we, you know, know from certain circles or whatever that we, we we're connected to and see on a regular basis, but maybe we're not close to, and that, that can be where we have a lot of value conflicts. Mm. And I think that part of it is we are terrible at conflict. Can I just say it? It's Mm -hmm. true. You know, we either sweep it under the rug or become really aggressive or just ignore it completely or become passive aggressive. And none of those things will stimulate honest, candid and kind conversations. And that's what we actually need the capacity to do. And so this takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. And it's not, you know, um, only a certain personality type that can have these conversations. Cause often when I'm trying to help people better understand how to engage in conflict, they just think, well, that person who talks a lot or that person that tends to be a little more direct, like they're really great at conflict. And that's not true. You know, conflict mm-hmm. can look a variety of different ways. Some, some people are tender and soft in conflict. Some people are very direct and frank, you know, some people have a little bit of bl- blend of both, but the truth is all of us can get good at conflict. Nobody mm-hmm. is born being able to say the thing that needs to be said. This is just, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you learn these things, you better internalize your own convictions and then understand when to speak, you know? And I think that's, what's so important. So now when I'm at the dinner table with someone, for example, maybe they're a family member, maybe they're a close friend and they say a regurgitated piece of information they heard on a podcast or Mm -hmm. from a pundit or politician or internet preacher, you know, now I'm better at going, Hey, actually that's offensive. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I'm really, hurt. I'm hurt by your comment because mm-hmm. I really care about those people. And so can that's you funny. please not talk that way in front of me? I would really appreciate it. And mm-hmm. so I don't do a big drama about it. It's just like, this is how I'm going to say it kindly, but I'm going to be honest and open about it. And that usually doesn't generate a big fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's where we're like, how could you say that? And why do you think this or the other? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how you just, you just escalate everything. And now you're just fighting to fight. Mm-hmm. If you really just go, wait a minute, like those are actually people that I care about. And right. so when I'm at the table, I would appreciate if you wouldn't talk that way. And so I think that we each have to learn to just start being brave in our relationships mm-hmm. and start sharing the thing that we feel convicted about and learn communication tools. You know, at, in chapter nine of the book, I lay out a whole list of tools. Yes. And at the end of every chapter, I offer a technique that you can use either for personal reflection or, or communication, interpersonal communication, mm-hmm. because it is an area that we can grow in. And again, you're talking to a recovered perfectionist who never used to say anything she thought. And now like, mm-hmm. I'm going to say everything. I think I'm going to be sweet about it, but I'm gonna I noticed I like it. <laughs> more of that. We can grow, right? Yeah. (laughs) Chapter nine. That was really good. I love just so many critical, practical tools for engaging with conflict. I think just everybody listening really needs to go out and get this book. Even if it's just for that chapter, it's so helpful in these days. Yeah, I think so. I, I wanted to be helpful. You know, I, my husband and I, 
do a lot of premarital and have for a lot, a lot of years. And we talk often about when you're preparing a couple for marriage, you talk about so many things. You talk about what are your values around education? How do you do your budget? What is your education background? What's your cultural background? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your ethnicity? You talk about all these things who seated at the family of origin. Were you, did you come from a two parent household? Did you come from a single parent household? Did you come, were you raised in the foster care system? Like we talk about all these things very openly and honestly, because these are the reasons couples fight. Yeah. And we don't do that in any other relationship. And why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so we need to better understand like, Hey, someone who's raised mm-hmm. in poverty is going to see the world much differently than someone who is raised in an upper middle-class position. Mm-hmm. Someone who's had a job since they were 14 is going to see the world very differently than, than someone who came from a family that paid for their college degree and their master's. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have to understand that class and race and gender, all of these things are actually impacting the way we view one another the way we view ourselves. And if we can make more space for each other's backgrounds and cultures and where we came from and our perspectives on the world, I think it would be easier for us to suspend judgment and better understand the reasons that we fight. Because when you know that you can manage your own triggers, Mm -hmm. you can become more self-aware. You can have more empathy and compassion for where the other person is coming from. You can hold space for people who are different than you. And I think that we've really lost that art because no one is teaching it. You don't learn it in school. Most faith communities aren't teaching it. Where do you learn it? Where do you learn to become a better communicator? Someone who can handle conflict. Where do you learn that? You know, you have to teach yourself (laughs) or be in a great workplace or somewhere that is teaching it. But I believe that we can all learn these things and I believe we can do better and it's time for us to do better. Yeah. I, I am just so behind that so much. You even had a chapter called language matters. And just that alone is is like, I think that's the most important thing to being any type of leader anywhere. Like the way that you are able to communicate with people and resolve conflict, but just the communication part and just being trauma informed in the way that you speak with people, you know, and the fact that so many people are carrying trauma around that you can like communicate in a way that like kind of acknowledges and validates that, but at the same time, like helps people feel safe and like just those things are so like so important and it, and it's hard to find. It's crazy how hard it is to find, but I do, I'm with you. I do think there is hope. I, I do agree, but we have to keep talking about it. Yep. You ended the book with a mantra, at least I think it's a mantra that I just love it. You said, <laughs> do no harm, but take no mess. Yes. Like, I just really feel that as a nine wing eight. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wanted to share with you, this is so crazy because I was reading the last chapter actually this morning. And um, I recently had a bit of a situation in my actual, like my small group faith community mm-hmm. where we, they were wanting to read this book. And I actually tried um, that was very um, misogynistic and patriarchal. It's a really, really old, like Christian book, but I just so don't agree with most of it. Mm. And it was actually very harmful. It was very triggering, um, as an abuse survivor, because of the way that it it talked about women and Mm -hmm. men and just gender and, and different things. And even some illustrations were just horrific to read Mm. (laughs) and it's just crazy. So anyways, I really tried to, to do this book, but I had stated my, 
my feelings in the beginning, but they wanted to go ahead and try. And we did. And it was so hard and it ended up, I wasn't the only one. There was another survivor that shared and we were really having a hard time with it. And so anyways, long story short, um, the leaders ended up meeting to talk about whether we were going to push forward or not. And one of the leaders brought up Romans 14, Mm. which, because they really (laughs) wanted to push forward until this person said, and then you talked in their very last chapter about Romans 14 and, you know, it, it was exactly what put an end to what I felt was, was a painful decision to put people through something that they weren't comfortable with, something that was mm. triggering for many women. And, mm. um, so I was really grateful for that. I felt like the Lord had given the leader that verse. Um, and then to see you right about, I just wanted to know if you could just kind of share a little bit about what that actual chapter meant to you and what it means to the book. I just think it really speaks to our time. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. And thank you for sharing that story, because I think that that is so common for people that they need to hear that this happens other places. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you share um, because sometimes we think, oh, it's just us, or maybe something's weird and people are unable to discern if the environment is safe or good. So I just appreciated you sharing that. Um, You know, I I wrote this last chapter, honestly, it came out of a very difficult public conflict. I was not minding my own business on Twitter and I decided (laughs) to... Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It didn't go well, ladies. I punched up, you know, and and I said, Hey, this, I think this person's beliefs are are a disaster. And, Mm -hmm. um, this person who has 330,000 Twitter followers Mm -hmm. decided to single me out on this thread. And she began to start retweeting the thing that I tweeted. And then she went onto my Instagram account, deep into my Instagram, started screenshotting, posted on her page. So she ran like six tweets deep and it sent her whole community after me. And this is, this is like a very mean spirited community, which grieves my heart deeply. Cause I'm like, what are you doing as a person of faith? to cultivate this kind of meanness in people. Uh I mean, Uh thousands of comments, like awful stuff. I mean, I I had never been, I've been attacked online. That's a regular day in the neighborhood, but like, I've never been attacked like this. Mm. And I had to shut down my accounts. I had to make everything private for two weeks just to let it blow over. And like people leave me alone um, on Instagram and Twitter. And so out of that, I initially wrote about it. And my, my editor was like, Hey, you sound real petty. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I I am feeling a little petty. And she said, it feels like, listen, Linda, exactly. (laughs) Yes, correct. And she was like, why do you want to give this person so much space? And I thought, Mm. man, you're right. And so as I began to write this, (sighs) this final chapter, I went to Romans 14. Okay. And I really, you know, that's the passage that talks about how, you know, we judge each other and it talks about how we assume that one person has weak faith because of what they believe. Mm-hmm. And I, it was just, a, again, another lesson in God's mercy, which I hope is a theme through this book when people read it, but it was another example of God saying, Hey, you don't fully have my heart here. Cause unfortunately I love the other side. And I know mm-hmm. she just like destroyed you publicly. And this mm-hmm. is really hard. And I was like crying nine months pregnant in my shower, you know, <laughs> oh. all in my face off trying to read a book to my kids at bedtime. And oh, I felt I so you. strongly the Holy spirit, just loving me and talking to me about what it means to just mm-hmm. let people be convicted about what they're convicted about and not mm-hmm. try to fix them, correct them, do any of the things. And it, it was so helpful to have Romans 14 as a real example. And I love what it says in, um, in verse four, it says to their own master servants, 
Well, it says this, who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master's servant stand or fall? And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. And so I felt like it was just God showing me like, Hey, mind your own business. Like I'm able to make her stand just like I'm able to make you stand. And which Mm -hmm. one of you is right about everything. And the answer to that is neither of us. And the same is true for everybody out there with a the microphone, whether that's at your dinner table with your, your family, or that's on Instagram, or that's on a podcast, or that's on, you know, in your workplace, I don't care where it is. The amount of people doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The heart behind what you're doing and speaking and saying actually really matters to God. That's right. And people and so matter. People yeah. matter. And how they feel about something really matters. You know, it you matters. even wrote, if someone's distressed over our rules, or I might yep. even add in our agenda, Come on. we are no longer acting in love. We have yes. to think about how our words are landing with people, yes. how our plans are affecting people. Yes. And if it's not coming off in love, why do we push it? That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I think you're saying something so powerful because, you know, love listens. Yeah. You know, love really listens and it just doesn't listen to what's coming out of people's mouth. Love can read body language and we're not responsible for the things that people don't say. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to give you some bad boundaries here, True. but what I am trying to say is like, you got to pay attention. If you can sense that there's this thing in the room that no one's saying, or somebody is raising an issue to you that this is hurtful or harmful, why would you not listen? Because yeah. love listens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it learns yes. it's willing to sit and learn even when you may not understand. And so I think even for the survivors who are are listening today, just to know that like what you have experienced can be, it, it's not on you to teach people, but it is an opportunity for people to listen to you and to understand your pain so that they can be better. They can be better in whatever field they're in or as a parent. I mean, if we can just sit and listen to each other's stories and learn what it might look like on the other side of the tracks, that's what love is. You said language matters and love listens. I just think that is just so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. I'm so grateful for the work that you guys are doing. It's really powerful. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley. Well, tell people how they can connect with you if you're not private anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And if you are, that's okay. (laughs) I'm not anymore. So you can come sass me on Twitter if you want to. And, um, you know, I'm also on Instagram, which is probably where I spent most of my time at Ash Abercrombie and ashabercrombie.org on my website. There's, you know, all kinds of resources or blogs that you can read different things going on over there. If there's any way that I can serve you, I'd love to. And it would be such a joy to connect with you guys. So thank you. Awesome. (laughs) Well, this has been such a treat, like I said. So thank you so much, Ashley. Hopefully we'll connect again in the future. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) We'll see ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.